Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisa Luhoko and Figilele Nwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, vote counting gets underway in Tanzania after yesterday's presidential elections. India-Africa Summit Forum gets underway in New Delhi and rights groups express concerns over prison conditions in Cameroon. In economics, South Africa highlights the need for gas-generated power. And in sports news, South African businessman is to run for the FIFA presidency. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Tanzania's ruling party looks set to win presidential and parliamentary elections despite a challenge to its five decades in power from former Prime Minister Edward Luasa. Luasa's voice concerns that the poll may not be free or fair. Shadema Party, part of the opposition coalition led by Luasa, said police raided its vote tally centre in Tanzania's commercial capital, Dar es Salaam, and arrested opposition officials. Opinion polls and analysts have forecast a presidential victory for John Makafuli, the ruling CCM party's candidate. Vote counting is currently underway. Former Mozambican President Armando Gebuza says democracy is becoming more entrenched on the continent. Gebuza showing the African Union observer mission to Tanzania. Tanzanians voted in their fifth multi-party elections yesterday. It's uh, usual to know that uh, after five years uh, we have elections. So after four years we have election, regular elections. And that's good. Of course we have exceptions. But there are exceptions, they're not the rule. In Ivory Coast, vote counting is underway after a presidential election in which incumbent Alassana Ouattara is hoping to secure a second term on, in office. The poll has been marred by prominent opposition candidates pulling out, citing widespread irregularities. Some 3,000 people were killed in the conflict, which ended with Ouattara coming to power in 2011. The conflict broke out after former President Laurent Gbagbo refused to accept Ouattara's victory in the 2010 election. Gbagbo was subsequently arrested and is due to stand trial at the International Criminal Court on war crime charges. The Republic of Congo have voted in a constitutional referendum. If approved, it will allow the country's president to seek another term in office. 
Opposition leaders called for a boycott after a number of protesters died in clashes with security forces. Under the current rules, President Denesa Suengesu is barred from seeking re-election because he's already 71. And the constitution currently stipulates a 70-year-old age limit. Turnout is said to have been low in the capital, Brazzaville. And finally, South Sudanese President Silva Kiir says he's committed to the implementation of the peace agreement between his government and rebel leader Rehik Machar. He was speaking after meeting with President Jacob Zuma in South Africa. His visit to the country comes weeks after he unilaterally created 28 new states in what regional and international bodies said was a clear violation of the August peace agreement. But Kiir says the country wants to overcome the challenges facing the implementation of the accord. We have given the essential information about what has happened so far, including the Arusha agreement which we signed and uh, which is being overshadowed by other things. But still we are firm on that, that we are implementing the Arusha agreement and we are implementing also the EGAD plus compromise agreement. So His Excellency confirmed his uh, commitment to that he will always liaise with us to see that you know, what has not been done has to be done. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Ed. It's 8.05 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. Now, India in Africa promises to walk the talk at the world's largest diplomatic gathering starting today. Leaders representing a third of mankind will meet to try and bring into focus, which is now a scattershot of cooperation between the 54-nation union and Asia's fastest-growing economy. Ranasen has more. The Africa-India Forum will see 41 prime ministers and presidents together this week in Delhi. Trade ministers from 37 African states met on the weekend and India's Commerce Minister Nirmala Sitaraman outlined the shape of things that may emerge in the next four days. We did identify areas of common interest and when we had the post-business-to-business interaction when the business leaders also joined us, it has emerged very clearly that infrastructure scope of uh, expanding the scope of agriculture, energy, human resource development and healthcare seem to be the areas in which there is immediate possibility of cooperation with African countries. China overshadows India's presence in Africa with its trade topping $200 billion. But forum spokesman Nafte Sarna said winds of commerce blowing across the Indian Ocean have warmed in recent years. India's trade with Africa in the last 15 years has gone up 20 times. Today it is an impressive figure of 70 billion US dollars. Our investment is anywhere between 30 to 35 billion dollars. We have managed to extend concessional credit to the tune of 7.4 billion dollars. This concessional credit is responsible for the creation of about 137 projects 
in 41 countries today. From a diamond cutting unit in Botswana to a train service in Djibouti, India's footprint has grown. Analyst S. Ramachandran said with 475 projects worth $64 billion on the table, the event could be a marriage made in heaven. It's a continent which is very rich in natural resources. And I think that is where the industrialized world has been exploiting them all these years. But I think Africa, by and large, would like India to assist them in several ways because development has only touched the fringes of Africa, barring a few select countries. But otherwise, Africa still remains poverty-stricken. Opportunity is already knocking on India's doors. Egypt renewed an invitation to its trusted Cold War ally to a 26-nation African market, added its ambassador Hatem Tagaldeen as 2,000 delegates flocked to the diplomatic jamboree. We are looking forward for the potential of, of enhancing the relation. We are evaluating and we need really action also to have the implementation plan. We need follow-up mechanism. And I believe that the Indian government have recognized that and we are working together. Even the African ambassadors here, we have been involved on the process with Addis Ababa also from the African Union, try to finalize how the Delhi Declaration and the action plan. The potential, of course, of enhancing this partnership, of investing and getting the experience of India in education, in IT, medical sector in general. India hopes to project China as the predator and itself a partner, pointing at the 2.7 million strong Indian diaspora, many in South Africa, where Mahatma Gandhi launched his freedom campaign, which also ignited the struggle against apartheid in the Rainbow Nation. This is Rana Sen reporting from New Delhi. Cuba has lauded the government and people of South Africa for the outstanding role of support in the struggle of resistance against the United States. These sentiments were shared in a meeting between Cuban Vice President Miguel Mario Diaz-Canel and South Africa's Deputy President Sil Ramaphosa after he laid a wreath at the memorial of Cuban national hero Jose Marti at Revolution Square in central Havana. A South African delegation is pushing to move the relationship with Cuba from one of political solidarity to a more business-focused engagement. Sharon Bryce-Bees reports. An honor for visiting national leaders, Deputy President Ramaphosa paying his respects to a symbol of Cuba's struggle for independence at the iconic Revolutionary Square in central Havana. Men in white Guevara's, a long-sleeved traditional Cuban shirt that breaks from Western concepts of formality. Ramaphosa later met his Cuban counterpart, Miguel Mario Diaz-Canel, who paid tribute to South Africa's support of their struggle. Today we have a new scenario in terms of relations between Cuba and the United States. The heroic struggle of resistance of our people without surrendering. And the international support we have received as examples of solidarity towards Cuba. Where uh, the government and the people of South Africa had, uh, have played an outstanding role. Have uh, promoted together with uh, the decision of the Latin American countries. That a favorable environment was created. Para que Cuba nuevamente estuviera presente en la cumbre de las Américas. 
for Cuba once again to be present at the summit of the Americas in order to express all of our truth. And while history is important, the future is not lost on those leading this visit. Deputy Minister in the Presidency, Buti Manamela. This is about strengthening uh, trade uh, between the two countries. But I think more importantly, ensuring that South Africa uh, is able to play a role in the rebuilding of the Cuban uh, economy and, uh, you know, improving on issues such as, uh, you know, education, the partnerships in health and all of that but also an extension of the strength of the friendship between the two countries. And while pointing to South Africa's strengths in technology, mineral resources and moves towards greater beneficiation, Manamela also pointed to the need to study more closely the Cuban example. There is a lot of things to learn from uh, you know, the Cubans. Education is free here. Public health care is free here with uh, you know, not even half the resources that we have in our country. So it means that uh, you know, all of those things are some of the things that we need to learn in order to ensure that we improve the quality of life of the majority of South Africans. I believe that as South Africa and as the rest of the world, we have much more to learn from Cuba than uh, you know, we can imagine. And those are the things which I think beyond this visit by the Deputy President, we will have to explore. And and also some side meetings that the various deputy ministers are having uh, you know, with the Cubans will consolidate all of those lessons. The deputy president later expected to meet with some of the over 3,000 South African medical students studying in Cuba. I'm Sherman Bricepies in Havana. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I This is Professor Stephen Hawking. Global Goals. You're with me, Palermo Faith. Global Goals. This is Chris from Coldplay. This is Cody Simpson. Global Goals. This is Lisa Astronaut, Samantha Cristoforetti. This is Liam Neeson. I'm the actress, Michelle Yeoh. This is Gilbert Dujou. Please, can we just have one minute of your time? A minute of your time. A minute of your time. By joining together and saying these incredible goals, let's be serious about them. Let's get involved. That very privileged perspective of being able to look down on our planet from space really made me think of the global goals for sustainable development. You're listening to Radio Arua. We will live in a world where our industries and our best innovations are not just used to make money, but to make all our lives better. For more information, go to globalgoals.org. This is Radio Everyone. Seven-day pop-up radio station you can find on globalgoals.org. Globalgoals.org. Let's get to work. The station for the UN's global goals. Let's make it 
हेल्प टेल एवरीवन सभी को बताने में हमारी सहायता करें हेल्प एवरीवन It's 8.16 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now results of voting in Tanzania are expected to start trickling in today. Tanzanians voted in presidential and general elections yesterday in what has been billed as the closest race in the country's history with the governing party facing the first major challenge to its dominance in decades. Polls put the ruling CCM party candidate Dr. John Magufuli in the lead ahead of his main opponent, former Prime Minister Edward Lowassa of the opposition coalition Ukawa. For an update from Tanzania, we earlier spoke to our reporter well, at this stage, uh, we have not um, had any information, any official information um, from the National Electoral Commission as regards um, the results. Uh, we're expecting that uh, to start happening around mid-morning. Uh, but uh, we were at the polling station when they closed and when they started vote counting. Uh, we're in Dar es Salaam, which is um, an urban area, obviously, and um, where the results that we saw at one polling station really put the um, Ukawa coalition as well as the ruling CCM um, neck and neck. The NEC has warned against um, announcing or unofficial announcing of results or, or parties declaring winners before they start um, officially announcing results. Uh, but the parliamentary um, results announcements should start later today. Uh, we're expecting the presidential announcements in about three or four days. So any of the states, it's, it's quite premature um, to start predicting um, what the outcome will be. Shingai, what's the mood like on the ground? What are people who cast their ballot yesterday saying um, with regards to the vote and the process? Well, um, it has been very mixed. Uh, when we went around the polling stations that uh, some of us went to yesterday, um, voting was being carried out very peaceful. And it was clear, as you said, that uh, this is a tightly contested race. There were huge turnouts of, of voters. Um, people, some of them elderly people that were voting for the first time because this was, they said that this was the first real display of multi-party democracy. Um, there was uh, several polling stations in the township uh, that were clearly unprepared for the huge turnout. Um, one of our um, correspondents was at one station in a place called Mbezi and uh, by 5 p.m., well after the polling station was supposed to have closed, um, voting hadn't even started yet because they were so overwhelmed by numbers and they hadn't bought um, enough material and, and there were clashes between voters and um, and polling officers at that particular station and riot police were called in there to restore the situation and others, people waited three, four, five hours to vote uh, but many of them were adamant that they were going to get the opportunity uh, to exercise their rights but generally what we understand across the country um, is that people, most people who wanted were able to vote and so really uh, right now um, people are just waiting um, there's been a, a ban on gatherings until after election results are announced. And so people are really going about their business, uh, waiting for these results uh, to, to begin coming in. Ashinga, you mentioned the fact that some polling stations had not opened in time and people, voters got angry. Did all these voters manage to, uh, registered voters, did they all manage to cast their ballots and uh, 
Were there any glitches with the various polling stations apart from opening late and uh, not having enough material for voters? Yeah, it was a huge number of people that um, had registered to vote. Um, some of the polling stations that we went to mentioned the fact that, um, that many of the glitches were that people had turned up to the wrong polling station um, and they were redirected to the correct ones uh, because this voting was ward-based, because it's not just parliamentary uh, elections but also council elections. Um, really, and, and, and most people knew what it was that they were supposed to bring. They were supposed to vote uh, with the identity cards, and um, we really didn't have a lot of reports about uh, people coming in without the identity card. So, really, the only issue was uh, that people were turning up at the at the um, at, at the wrong polling stations. Now, Shingai, you know, analysts have described this election as uh, the most competitive um, since independence, which was what uh, the CCM have been in power for 50 plus minus 54 years. Now, is the ruling party, are they confident of retaining power or are we likely to see a change of guard or an upset in the election? It, it really depends who you speak to, even the analysts that we've interviewed are very divided about uh, the outcomes of this election. Um, What they do acknowledge is the fact that um, CCM has the advantage of incumbency. Um, They have all the state machinery um, at their disposal, or they've had the state machinery at their disposal for this election. Um, They have um, strongholds in the rural areas, but um, the opposition says that if you do speak to people at an individual level in the rural areas, uh, they clearly have the support. Um, so really it's difficult to determine uh, what people, between what people say and, and what people are actually going to vote. Um, so really at this stage, if anybody is guess, but most people, um, most polls do um, point to the fact that CCM um, will retain their role in this country, but at a diminished level. Shingai, when should we expect final results? Well, according to the uh, to, to the electoral law, um, the, the, the National Electoral Commission has up to seven days to declare the presidential results. Um, but what they have committed to is to have them out in three to four days. Uh, what they say, though, is that parliamentary and council results will be out um, as soon as vote counting is finished at the individual polling stations. Uh, so there's likely to be a tally, but we are likely to know the outcome of the parliamentary results um, as early as today. And Shingai, before I let you go, um, just to speak to the issue of uh, African leaders um, not wanting to let go of power and trying to change um, the constitution in some instances. We saw um, a former president of uh, Tanzania who spoke of that issue to say that uh, um, uh, Jakai Kikwete must be commended for stepping down as his term ends. What's your what's your um, feeling of this or what's your sense of this with regard regards to African leaders, um, some of them not wanting to let go of power? Well, we, we did put that question to former President uh, Benjamin Kappa, and, um, and, and he did acknowledge that um, this still does happen where you have some um, leaders that are trying to change constitutions uh, to go beyond uh, their term limits. But uh, what he said is that uh, 50 years ago, that was generally the rule, um, and 20 and even 20 years ago, uh, but that now people, most of the leaders are respecting that, um, that the five-year uh, term limit as, as well as the fact that they, um, 
that, that, the, that the leaders that want to change the, that the term limits are an exception rather than the rule, and um, which obviously augurs well for this conflict that um, we have less and less incidences of leaders wanting um, to extend their stay in office. That was Shingai Nyoka, correspondent, joining us on the line from Tanzanian capital, Dar es Salaam. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The need to support and empower young people from disadvantaged communities both in South Africa and the United Kingdom to help them reach their full potential has featured prominently in discussions between officials from both countries. South Africa's International Relations Minister Maite Nkwane Mashabane included a number of young entrepreneurs in her team to meet with emerging UK entrepreneurs in London. Unati Binkose has more. After the formal bilateral talks discussing serious issues affecting the two nations, officials from both countries met in South Africa House in London for less intense engagements. Though power balances between the two nations are skewed towards Britain, the UK acknowledges that there are valuable lessons it can learn from South Africa. Patricia Scotland is a member of the UK Parliament. The United Kingdom is no longer a monoculture. You saw it in the Olympic Games. It was multifaceted, multinational, multi-religious. So in many ways, similar rainbow nation to the nation of South Africa. And I think if we are looking for partners of choice, one of the opportunities we have is to come back to reunite because of all the things that join us. National Relations Minister Maite Nguana Mashabani stressed the need for the two countries to continuously build on their strong relations dating back over a century. We've had our historic ties, difficult many a times. Half those elderly people you see in this hall have been sending out there in snow, in the rain, campaigning for the freedom of South Africa. Today they are here to celebrate To address some of the challenges facing disadvantaged youths, the UK government is supporting initiatives such as the Eagles, an outreach program aimed at assisting minority groups in the UK to stand up and be counted. Those issues are very similar to the issues that we've been talking about, about how you empower black young people in South Africa and give them an opportunity to really show their talent and to enrich the um, economy of South Africa in a way that we all want to see it done. Young entrepreneurs from both countries had a chance to share their skills and business ideas to help grow each other's economy. I was asked to come to, to, to represent the UK to meet fellow entrepreneurs from South Africa. It, it helps you to realize that everybody actually has quite a few things in common, which perhaps you don't realize until you sit in the same room as people. And so, you know, as a result of this, you know, I feel as though I understand, you know, a lot more about the business environment in South Africa. Remember, you are, we are building the future. We are building a base. So exposure of young people to some of these uh, programs really will assist the, you know, the country going forward. The interaction between the two countries comes at a time when the Arts and Culture Department is hosting the South Africa-UK Seasons 2015-2016, an initiative aimed at promoting tourism between the two countries. 
And that report by Unati Binkose in London. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorla. Africa, Amuka na Unai. A group of companies in South Africa has joined forces with the global non-profit organization Stop Hunger Now to distribute thousands of meal packets in Mozambique and South Africa. This is part of efforts to end hunger. The initiative is one of many activities to mark World Hunger Action Month this month. Approximately 870 million people go to bed hungry every day. That is one out of every eight people in the world, making hunger number one on the list of the world's top 10 health risks. For more on this, Elizabeth Ledicha spoke to Lisibana Lidwaba from Barlow World Equipment, a South Africa-based industrial brand management company. So the meal packing initiative is aligned to our vision as Barlow World Group, which is to create shared value, shared value for our stakeholders, and our stakeholders are diverse. It would be the communities in which we do business, it would be our customers, it would be our employees. So this meal packing fits directly with our vision of creating value for our stakeholders. Tell us more about these beneficiaries. Who are they? So the way we operate is we partnered with Stop Hunger Now, which is the umbrella body that would then identify who the beneficiaries are. So. When we pack the meals, they would go to Stop Hunger Now and they would identify who the deserving beneficiaries are and they would distribute those. And the meal packets, what does each one consist of? In the packets, there's peas, there's soya, there's rice and vitamins. What do you think is the most urgent action, Mr. Liduaba, that is required to deal with the problem of hunger? Ultimately, we'd like people to be self-sustaining and not to depend on handouts. So in our little contribution, what we want hoping to do is that the beneficiaries would be able to attend school and learn and be educated so that over time they become self-sustaining. Now, you know, you can't study on an empty stomach. So these meals would contribute towards keeping children in a school. So one meal, for instance, can feed 20 children for five days. And in terms of the challenges, are you anticipating any? You see, one of the key things that we really do up front is to do due diligence to make sure that we partner with the right partners. So in Stop Hunger, we believe we have found a partner that would proactively identify challenges and address them even before they become challenges. I think if you're talking challenges, we can say that we can never do enough to feed everyone in the world. So that really is a key challenge. And that was Lisibana Lidwaba of Bala World Equipment in South Africa speaking to Elizabeth Lidicha. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. Tanzania's opposition party, Chadema, says police have raided its tallying center and arrested party members after presidential and parliamentary polls closed yesterday. Nigerian authorities have detained and charged 45 people suspected of being involved in a plot by Boko Haram to carry out an attack in the city of Lagos and five Ethiopians.
Ethiopian opposition groups in exile say they formed an alliance to bring a change of government back home. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. Human rights groups in Cameroon have expressed concerns about the country's brutal prison system. Some of the prisons constructed for 500 detainees now host over 3,000 inmates. The rights groups say Boko Haram suspects and wayward refugees from the troubled Central African Republic swell the prisons, but the government of Cameroon denies the allegations. Channel Africa's Moki Kintega reports from Elwunde. 26-year-old Aristus Beba has been prisoner at the Kondenge Central Prison in Cameroon's capital, Yaoundé, for five years. He says he was arrested and locked up in the police cell because of a family dispute and later transferred to the prison without trial. My elder brother accused me of stealing money from the house and I was taken here. I've been beaten up several times here, but I had to clean the toilet every time. Any small food they bring for me here, they take everything. I don't have anything. I'm really suffering here. The prison was constructed for 750 inmates, but now has over 4,000 men, women and children. 30-year-old mother of two, Angelina Dufe, says she was detained under appalling conditions with her two-week old baby two years ago. A mother is forced to sleep on one bed with three children. Men and women using the same toilets. At times they even go to prison and become pregnant. Her child grows up in prison. What kind of habits do you expect that child to have? Cameroon says it has 24,000 prisoners, but the country's National Institute of Statistics reports there are about 30,000. The chairman of Cameroon's National Commission on Human Rights and Freedoms, Chemuta Divine, says the cells are swell because a majority of the prisoners have not been tried in a law court. Not all the persons in prisons are criminals. There are too many people that would just find themselves in through the system that is in place. You see young people who should be out helping in production and improving upon the economy. They are there in their great numbers. They are tortured. Prisons should not be torture centers. We have said this clear and clear. Cameroon Secretary of State in charge of penitentiary administration, Do Jerome, says they are planning to make prisons reformatories. We have the vision of reintroducing what used to be known as production prisons, so that by the time the inmates come out of prison, out of detention, they have known certain traits which will help them to be rehabilitated in their society. Last month, Amnesty International criticized Cameroon for its appalling prison conditions and said in the Marwa prison on Cameroon's border with Nigeria, half of the 1,300 prisoners were Boko Haram suspects living in very difficult conditions without hygiene, health care and some of the prisoners are even held in chains. Rights groups working on Cameroon's eastern border with Central African Republic also say refugees who fled camps because of shortages in humanitarian health and difficult living conditions are being arrested and locked up in Cameroonian prisons. Cameroon's government spokesperson, Isa Chiruma, denies there are thousands of CAR refugees and Boko Haram suspects swelling the prisons. 
he says there are aware prisons are congested with inhumane treatment meted on prisoners. This is a problem that we know very well. And you said you are perfectly right. Justice delay is justice denied. The government is committed, is engaged to speed up the trial of all of those, not only Boko Haram. We have our brothers, our sisters who are in jail for a given time. And unfortunately, who are not tried for many reasons, understandable and justifiable reasons. Chiruma says the government will spare no effort in the process of building prisons wherever and whenever it is possible to reduce the burden, but that the government has financial constraints. The Central African State has 78 congested prisons. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki. Kinzika in Yawundi. Zimbabwe is raising concern over the negative effect that the new South African law against child trafficking is having on tourism in the region. However, South Africa announced on Friday that it will make its new visa rules easier for visitors with children and those from India, China and Russia after tourism numbers dropped this year. A Zimbabwe Minister for Tourism and Hospitality, Walter Muzembi, has spoken about this and other Zimbabwe tourism-related issues to Channel Africa's Koleta Wanjohi in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. There is a new documentation act in South Africa which is attempting to check on child trafficking, which is a big vice. However, you have raised concern against this act, particularly as far as tourism is concerned. The new documentation act that requires uh, unaccompanied minors or minors with one parent to produce so much documentation, uh, so much cumbersome documentation, is obviously hitting the South African economy very negatively uh, to the extent where we are reading uh, sort of like uh, 20 to 30 percent uh, impacts uh, to those uh, uh, statistics that I've already shared with you. But uh, even to our economies where we have no capacity to measure uh, instantaneously, uh, promptly, spontaneously, uh, the impact. We are seeing a downturn in arrivals uh, transiting via South Africa or from South Africa itself into our markets. Uh, and it is an issue that is affecting us. And I've already had a conversation with the South African Minister Derek Anikom to say, guys, can't you sit down? You and uh, Minister Kikaba uh, find each other, have a very serious conversation uh, relating to the impact, the unintended consequences of uh, these new laws. Because laws are not made to be cast in stone. But South Africa would easily argue out that this is a matter of security. This is exactly what I was saying now, that our security forces in Africa were not trained to receive angels. Why should they want just to receive angels at airports? There should be a 2% provision to catch more contents, and our systems should be trained to do that. But you, you, you sit at the airport and the airports of entry and you just want to admit an uh, angel Gabriel and this team? We want that weighed against, you know, uh, the, the economic impact to our destination. That's why we are doing only 56 million arrivals out of 1.1 billion arrivals in Africa. It's because of these stereotypes, security stereotypes. We have won every war in tourism except the secret war. And that secret war is actually perceptional because it has been overtaken by events in a world that is fast becoming an ICT world. 
Now, as the Minister of Tourism for Zimbabwe, what lesson has Zimbabwe derived from the recent killing of the lion Cecil under trophy hunting? If we are going to fix this problem, there are a number of things that we must attend to, which are lessons from Cecil. And the first one is that uh, we have to integrate uh, the aspirations of our communities into our conservation and biodiversity models. We should not outlaw their existence adjacent to our national parks, our game parks, or any other wildlife areas as we may designate uh, going forward. Our indigenous communities have been part of this habitat and ecosystem for time immemorial, but we allowed colonial models to come and impose boundaries. Zimbabwe also has very many elephants, and recently there were reports that Zimbabwe was giving some to China. Why wouldn't some of these elephants go to African countries? We should offer in the first instance our animals to friendly and natural habitats, which is African habitats. So if we have excess in Zimbabwe and Uganda doesn't have, Uganda is a natural habitat, DRC would be a natural habitat. And this is a conversation that we must begin to generate as conservationists, as biodiversity experts. We must start generating that debate. But you cannot stop Zimbabwe from trading with China. I'm happy that China has announced a one-year ban, which will basically help on ivory products. It will help in dealing with the market in the first instance. But we have plenty of ivory. We also can go hungry looking at this resource. So there has to be a balance along the way on which ivory you are accepting into your markets if you are China and that which you are outlawing. That was Zimbabwe's Minister for Tourism and Hospitality, Walter Muzembi, speaking to Channel Africa's Koleta Wanjohi in Addis Ababa. The prestigious and growing South African Literary Awards celebrate their 10th anniversary this year with an action-packed two-day program of exciting African literature, music, dance and art live show and expo on the 6th and 7th November at the Twane Event Center, Pretoria, South Africa. Prof. Michelle Mugel, world-renowned activist, academic and author, will deliver the fourth International African Writers' Day lecture. Thank you, Tasco. Thank you, Tasco. Thank you, Tasco. Join Channel Africa as we broadcast live from the event, bringing you all the speeches and artists such as Kyorapeti, Hosizile, Minyato Matole, Molefepeto, Ariel Zamonski, Bernice Biganyo, Gloria Bosman, Femi Koya, Lififitadi, Pitikantuli, and more. For more information, visit www.sala.org.za Taura Africa Bua Africa Proudly brought to you by the Right Associates The South African Department of Arts and Culture and Channel Africa The voice of the African Renaissance Thank you
Let's go back in time to today in 2005. Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad declared that Israel was a disgraceful blot that should be wiped off the map. That was today in history in 2005. And again in 1965, the Beatles received MBE medals as members of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire from Queen Elizabeth II at Buckingham Palace. That was today in history in the year 1965. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, réveille-toi. Africa, Africa, wema. Sun, rise it. Le soleil élevé. Weya, wema. What's in the happen, Africa? Africa, Dumelang Sanbonani. Africa, Mulishadi, Pulibonji. Africa, Ayanyomi, Kilonshele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen, Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from. We are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Channel Africa, Blantyre. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwese, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yawundi. Informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Mwaigikonyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Let's go back in time to today in 1998 after a notice was served on former South African President F.W. de Klerk by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission informing him of of its intention to make its findings regarding him public. He filed an urgent application to the High Court Cape High Court in an attempt to prevent the publication of the report. That was today in history in the year 1998. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Let's go back in time to today in 1975. Anwar Sadat became the first Egyptian president to pay an official visit to the United States. That was today in history in the year 1975. Our economics update up next with Tabisa Luhoko.
Thanks, Balungile. Africa and India promises to walk the talk at the world's largest diplomatic gathering starting today. Leaders representing a third of mankind will meet to try and bring into focus, which is now a scattershot of cooperation between the 54-nation union and Asia's fastest-growing economy. India's Commerce Minister, Nirmala Sitharaman. We did identify areas of common interest and when we had the post-business-to-business interaction, when the business leaders also joined us, it has emerged very clearly that infrastructure, scope of uh, expanding the scope of agriculture, energy, human resource development, and healthcare seem to be the areas in which there is immediate possibility of cooperation with African countries. Gas-generated power will play an important part in South Africa's future energy mix. That's the view of South Africa's Deputy Mineral Resources Minister Godfrey Oliphant while accompanying the country's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa on a tour of one of Canada's, uh, Cuba's rather, three gas treatment and power generation facilities. Show in Bryce Pease is in New York. It was a day of questions and answers for the Deputy President. How far do you source the gas? How far is it from here? At a facility that converts raw gas into power and feeds it into the national grid. The Boca de Aruco processing plant, about 50 kilometers outside of Havana, is one of three gas facilities in Cuba, part of a joint venture with Canada's Sherit International that generates over 300 megawatts into the island's national grid. Lafarge Africa expects to generate a cost-saving synergies of $46 million over the next three years in Nigeria after its parent firm agreed to merge its business with Holcim in the plan to create the world's biggest cement maker. Switzerland's Holcim and Francis Lafarge have agreed terms for their plan to create the world's top cement business in February. Lafarge Africa has also posted nine months of profit before tax at $1 billion U.S. dollars. Indicators at this hour, the US dollar trades at 13.61 in South Africa, 10.11 in Botswana, 12.20 in Zambia, 0.65 British pound, 0.90 euro, gold 1164 dollars, platinum 996 dollars an ounce, brand crude oil for eight dollars seven cents a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update, my name is Tabisolo Huku, and it's the final and last hour of Africa Rise and Shine. And thank you to Tabiso for that economic update. Figula Lingwati, a disappointing loss for South Africa. Not too disappointing. It wasn't too bad. We expected more points than that, but uh, two points is not too bad. Yes, not too bad, but uh, with the expectations before they left here, we thought that they would go all the way, especially you. We, we, we <laughs> and Mario, we already had this in mind that they will never go No, far. but you guys are be, you're always pessimistic. We needed to be optimistic. At least we got this far. We're There's probably going to get third being pessimistic third and uh, being real, you know. No, 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 no. They did, they did their best. Yeah, well, with the team that they had. At least they will stay on up until the last days of the <laughs> World Cup. You know? Give us an update.
In our sports update this hour, Tokyo Sikhwale's bid to become FIFA president received a major boost on Sunday night when the South African Football Association National Executive Committee unanimously agreed to endorse his candidacy at the OR Dambo International Airport. Sikhwale, who up until on Sunday was still considering entering the race to replace Seb Blatter as the FIFA president, can now go ahead and submit his candidature before the deadline on the 26th of October. There's a saying that charity starts at home. In this case, sitting with my leadership of, of football in South Africa, our leadership of football in South Africa, I want to change that statement to say humility starts at home. Candidates everywhere are pronouncing themselves, and one hopes that when they do so, they have also touched base with their own constituencies. Mine starts here. It starts with this leadership, and I'm humbled and, and, and very uh, proud that a, a team of leadership under SAFA has taken this decision. Mine is to say, I will not disappoint you. I know I carry the hopes of yourselves and hopefully of the football family in the country as we go for the FIFA football family. Sikhwale, who was recently endorsed by top German football official and former FIFA executive committee member Franz de Kaiser Beckenbauer, now needs four more nominations from member associations to make him eligible to stand for this top job. We are in serious discussions with many players across the world and I would like to appeal to the media. At this stage, we should end here because I now qualify and the rest of the qualifications will be informed to FIFA on Monday and those countries are themselves free to speak on the continent and elsewhere. Four other men have already submitted their papers for the FIFA election. UEFA President Michel Platini, whose chances appear to have been thwarted by an ethics investigation. Prince Ali bin Al-Hussein of Jordan, ex-FIFA official Jerome Champagny, and David Nakid, or a former player from Trinidad and Tobago. In rugby news, a gutted Springbok coach, Haneke Mayer, says his side's lack of discipline in the second half and their inability to build on a perfect first-half performance probably led to their 2018 defeat at the hands of New Zealand in their Rugby World Cup semi-final encounter played at Twickenham. Yeah, I thought we uh, had a perfect first half. I thought we executed well. Very right game plan and our discipline was 100% intact. Uh, keep on turning them, put pressure on them and uh, build scoreboard pressure. Uh, second half, uh, you know, I don't think we adapted well enough with the, with the, in the rainy conditions. They kept on turning us then and we made a uh, few mistakes. And uh, I've always said it's going to come down right to discipline. And uh, although a lot of penalties in second half, one penalty is the difference between winning and losing. And, uh, you know, I've always said before the World Cup, even to our team in World Cups, a drop goal, three points of difference, and all credit to Carter, and they needed that to put it through. We just couldn't build pressure the second half, couldn't adapt to the, to the conditions, and uh, although we gave everything, we didn't uh, build enough pressure to be in there half and uh, to get the points. Finally, with golf news, Justin Rose has won the UBS Hong Kong Open for his eighth European Tour victory. The wild number seven closed on 17 under par for a one-stroke win over Lucas Bieregar. That's a sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka, Na Unai.
Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, vote counting gets underway in Tanzania after yesterday's presidential elections. India-Africa Summit Forum gets underway in New Delhi and rights groups express concerns over prison conditions in Cameroon. That wraps up Africa Rouse and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuto Ramagaza, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Africa. Taking us to the top of an hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is P-Square with a song titled Noa Baby. Boom, boom.